Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is Abby Martin here in studio with Mike Preisner. On today's episode, we wanted to give attention to the flip side of our normal content with our friends Jordan Cheriton and Jen Dyes of Status Quo. While we usually focus on what the U.S. Empire is doing to people around the world, Status Quo does a great job of covering the impact of imperialism within our borders, the decay and rot of a system that pours trillions into war and occupation while barely giving crumbs to those suffering at home. Last week, the Senate reached a bipartisan agreement to increase military spending by $25 billion in the next year alone, saying Biden's increase of over $10 billion wasn't enough. Unlimited money for the empire, while poor and working people here face a wave of evictions, joblessness, and hardships as we head into another round of the pandemic. While we know it's essential to cover what crimes this money is spent on abroad, we also need to look at what the lack of those funds means within. Jordan and Jen do incredible work doing just that. You can watch them at youtube.com slash status and support them by becoming a member like I am at status And I know we're planning to do a lot more in collaboration with you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on the Empire Files podcast, Jordan and Jen. So, You guys just came out with an incredibly explosive expose in The Intercept about Flint. And of course, we're going to get into that. Um, But I first wanted you both to remind our audience about what exactly happened in Flint, because it's been about seven years on from the initial scandal. I mean, people are saying, as you guys have uh, reported very extensively, people are still saying that there is problems with the water, uh, you know, even though government officials are saying, oh, no, it's been fixed years ago. I mean, just just walk us through what that crisis was and what the environmental and health impacts were from this catastrophic act of criminal negligence. Yeah, so uh, essentially Flint, like most of the Midwest, uh, it was kind of a dead, rotting carcass economically. Uh, Used to be the home of General Motors and really vibrant middle class, but um, because of a lot of things, uh, offshoring of jobs and things like that, it it really was basically bankrupt uh, by the time former Michigan Governor Rick Snyder came into office in 2011. So Snyder, uh, under the Republican brilliance of, uh, you know, let's run government like a business, he appointed Uh, emergency managers. So these are unelected, uh, basically bureaucrats uh, that serve for the governor uh, in cities like Flint. Detroit had one too. And uh, the emergency manager, along with Governor Snyder uh, and some local Flint officials, uh, basically created a a water privatization scheme uh, under the guise of, uh, you know, saving Flint residents uh, money on water, which did not happen. So uh, part of that scheme was to build a, a brand new water pipeline that the city of Flint could join. Uh, Flint had been getting its water for 50 years from the Detroit water system without any issues. So while that brand new water pipeline was being built, uh, by the way, it was a fraudulent financial deal that led Flint to join that water pipeline. Flint was broke. It didn't have any money. It couldn't borrow any more money, but they created a essentially a fake environmental emergency to, to give Flint an exception uh, that they could borrow $100 million to join this water pipeline. 
And while that water pipeline was under construction, uh, part of that financial deal, uh, the fraudulent financial deal, basically handcuffed Flint that they had to use the Flint River uh, while that other while the pipeline they would be joining was under construction. Flint River, I mean, everybody in Flint knew. You know, General Motors had been dumping its waste in there for a hundred years. Uh, there was many other industrial waste in there. And uh, while they were on the Flint River, the state of Michigan, uh, particularly the environmental department, failed to um, add the proper corrosion control chemicals. I mean, the pipes underneath all of us that bring us water, they're all like 75 to 100 years old. So most cities, major cities, uh, are supposed to be adding uh, phosphates to the water supply, which helps basically prevent lead and other uh, heavy metals from leaching off of the pipes. They didn't add that. Uh, and there was a, you know, it was uh, lead poisoning, uh, lead leaching off the pipes uh, because Flint's, uh, Flint was originally like 250, 300,000 residents. Now it's under 100,000. So there's so many vacant homes that the between the lead that was leaching off and the water being stagnant, um, a, a bacterial disease formed, a waterborne bacterial outbreak known as Legionnaire's disease started spreading through the water. It killed According to the state's numbers, which are BS, 12 people, uh, our reporting uh, indicates as many as hundreds of people died from this. And most importantly, in addition to those who have already died, um, you know, we go, I've been there many, many times, nearly 20. Jen's been there a lot. I mean, people are slowly dying. The effects of uh, lead poisoning and other uh, environmental toxins that were in that water, it, it doesn't just kill you overnight your body gets weaker and weaker and new illnesses come up as the years go on from lead poisoning and other um, contaminants that were in that water. Jen, reiterate what Jordan just said about the lead poisoning, because this is something that, I mean, it's it's really hard to wrap your mind around how many people were poisoned uh, intentionally, essentially, um, and also just mm -hmm. what the, the effects of lead poisoning are, especially to children. Right. So that's, you know, when, when people think of the Flint water crisis, that's what they mainly think of, right? But they think of it in terms of or in the context of back in 2014 or back in 2015, or maybe they even think of it in terms of 2016 when this sort of took off, uh, when when Rachel Maddow um, uh, lent her voice to it, and she's long since forgotten. But what people don't realize is that it can take around five years for the full effects of lead to to show up, uh, for the full detrimental effects to show up. And so in all the times that we've gone to Flint, which, as Jordan said, has been many times over many years, um, people are getting sicker and sicker and sicker. So not only is there a continued exposure to lead, but that initial rush of exposure to lead, it, it takes a while for even that to show up. So if that makes sense, it builds up over time, but it also takes a while to show up. So we have, uh, we've interviewed grandmothers who say that while their young grandchildren, you know, had learned to walk or learned to say their, their ABCs, in some cases they're now having to, you know, crawl, uh, you know, to, to the bus or to the car, have forgotten how to say their ABCs or forgotten how to count. Um, 
And these, in a lot of cases, these are effects that will last their entire lives for these children. Um, some of the top fighters for Flint, the top activists, the strongest and loudest voices are now, uh, uh, these folks are having to spend their days in bed so sick, just unable to function. And then, of course, you know, there, there's COVID and there, there are other health issues on top of that. So it's it's something that, uh, you know, we saw an uptick in, in miscarriages and in, in fetal deaths. And it's just a horrible amount of, um, you know, consequences of having been poisoned. I mean, really harrowing stuff. I mean, and and, and this speaks to a lot of issues we're going to get to later in the interview that, that illustrates how there is not one America. There are two Americas. There is the America that has to... Uh, deal with the kinds of things like this happening to their children and the America that doesn't even have to think about it or know that it's going on. Um, but, you know, I did want to get into th- what criminality there is here and what you found in your investigation published in The Intercept. Um, you know, I think that, first of all, uh, Michael Moore did a great good job in his documentary, Fahrenheit 11.9, of getting into the, some of the details of Flint. You know, for example, they didn't even, they were fine the way they were getting water. This whole new way of getting this privatized water was just totally unnecessary. There was no need for it. It was just like a total scam handout by Rick Snyder to like his friends or whatever. Um, and then all these other sinister things, like once they knew that there was a problem, once they knew that there was this lead poisoning, not only did they do nothing to try to stop these kids and elderly and other people from becoming poisoned, but they actually engaged in a cover-up where, you know, there was one nurse who was a whistleblower who told that she was directed to cover up the results of these lead poisoning tests to say that there is uh, nothing happening. So could you walk us through uh, what aspects of what, what was the criminal cover-up that they were engaging in and what new information have you come across that further illustrates that they knew they committed crimes and were trying to protect themselves from criminal prosecution? How much time do you have? <laughs> um, well, uh, we've done so many stories that have been ignored, so it's hard to give the full list. But uh, let's start with there were multiple cover-ups. First, there was the cover-up in real time as people were getting drinking the water and Governor Snyder and his administration stopped news of that toxic water from going public. Uh, then there was the cover up one after the fact when it when it became national news. And now there's the cover up, in my view, by the media, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But the let's start with the most important thing. Um, Governor Snyder himself, who a lot of people don't realize that he in a, in a far, far galaxy away when Trump wasn't a thing, he was positioning himself uh, to run for president in 2016. Huh. So uh, a lot of the cr- criminality we found uh, happened before that. And he had a major motivation not to have a raging water crisis on his watch because, uh, you know, Karl Rove, big wigs in the Republican Party were talking about him as, you know, an example of, oh, and, you know, a conservative who rescued failing cities and all that BS. So we found uh, in our story a couple months ago uh, with The Intercept, which unfortunately was published on the day Trump was impeached for a second time, so kind of got lost. Uh, We found what prosecutors had found, which is Governor Snyder, who told Congress, testified to Congress that he did not know about the Legionnaire's disease outbreak in Flint. That's that bacteria Uh, the waterborne bacteria 
that spread through the water um, and killed a lot of people. He didn't know about it till January 2016. Uh, our reporting discovered that uh, well, we uh, we obtained Snyder's phone calls with his chief of staff and his health director from October 2014. So we're talking a long time ago, but why this is important. In October 2014, there was already uh, back and forth communications going on between Snyder's health department and Snyder's environmental department about Legionnaire's disease. This was only two weeks before Snyder was up for re-election as governor. Obviously, if you want to run for president, kind of have to get re-elected as governor. So we obtained just rapid fire phone calls between Governor Snyder, his chief of staff and the department, the health director of the state. Over two days, they spoke 22 times. Uh, if you look at the uh, sequence of the calls, Snyder never directly talked to his health director. The, the chief of staff was kind of used as the cutout. So Snyder would talk to the health, uh, the chief of staff. They'd hang up right away. The chief of staff calls the health director and the other way, too. And this went on for two days, like rapid fire. The criminal investigation did like an analysis of how often did these people speak on the phone over two years. And it was basically concentrated in those two days. They, they did not speak, at least on the phone, often at all, uh, other than those two days. So criminal prosecutors concluded, in addition to some other evidence, that what they were rapid fire talking about was the, the spreading Legionnaire's disease outbreak. And instead of notifying the public, which as the governor, by law, he has a duty to do, they were covering it up. So that's that's the top line that cover-up led to more death um, as a result of not notifying the public. Um, we also broke uh, in Vice News last year that uh, Governor Snyder's top advisor. So just think about like Rahm Emanuel as Obama's guy, or if it's a mob boss movie, like the consigliere. This guy, his name was Richard Baird, Governor Snyder's top advisor. He called himself Snyder's fixer. We, we broke that he was going around Flint offering payoffs to sick Flint residents who were being a little too loud, uh, getting media coverage. They were offering to pay off their health bills, medical bills, expand their Medicaid, sweetheart deals for them, not the rest of Flint citizens, if they'll just quiet down. And a couple, uh, a, res, uh, uh, a married couple told us, oh yeah, he told us the governor knew all about these deals. So in addition to Snyder's direct involvement, his number two basically was going around trying to cover up what was going on in real time. And then uh, in this most recent story we broke last week, um, essentially we found destruction of evidence. Uh, top officials close to Governor Snyder, including his press secretary, uh, her phone was erased uh, right when she left her role, which was shortly before the launch of a criminal investigation into Flint. Uh, state officials we spoke with told us the you know phones are supposed to they're supposed to be like retained for a uh, set amount uh, a set amount of time uh particularly if there's expected litigation which there certainly was it was expected there was going to be an investigation into flint the phones are not supposed to be touched period her phone was erased uh then you go to the health department the prosecutors found top officials in snyder's health department they're Text messages were mysteriously gone from their phone for all of 2014, all the way to October 2015. Was that's when Flint used the Flint River. We found 
uh, phones belonging to the state environmental department were allegedly dumped off in the state IT department uh, soon after Snyder announced Flint, finally admitted Flint had toxic water. Those phones were dumped off, quote, wiped clean, according to an IT official. And there's a lot of other moving parts. This story shows that Governor Snyder basically waged a legal war for three years uh, at taxpayer expense because taxpayers in Flint and Michigan were paying for his criminal defense lawyers. Snyder wouldn't hand over key, key documents to the prosecution, including his daily briefings. You know, governors get briefings every day. He wouldn't hand them over potentially because there might be things in there that incriminate him. So we have destruction of evidence. We have Snyder himself refusing to provide uh, documents, which some lawyers told us was obstruction of justice. And then what we described in the previous uh, story we broke in January, Snyder himself uh, with his chief of staff and health director uh, basically scrambling to stop, to bury news of a deadly uh, outbreak. Yeah, it's so crazy. Um, reading that story, you guys, because it just infuriates me. I mean, uh, above so many other things, I'm sure a lot of people think this, that, okay, Governor Snyder's at least been held accountable, you know, because there was so much attention on Flint, even though it was relatively fleeting. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, obviously the evidence piled up and we know um, based on that, that he's absolutely guilty of numerous crimes. And so it is a little shocking that he's just sitting there being able to evade justice for so long. I mean, I, I don't know what what is going to happen with that. Um, obviously, the justice will not be served in terms of his case, even if he does go to end up going to prison. I'm not really sure, but I want you guys to comment on that. But also, the big bombshell revelation of the investigation, as you just outlined, Jordan, is this wiping the phones clean of certain people that could have provided evidence of culpability. Now, this is really interesting because it's not just people who were involved wiping their own phones. It's actually their phones being wiped with them not having any idea of how it happened. So first of all, that's really crazy. It's like, what what kind of company can you hire to do cleanup operations that could actually like directly target other, target other people's phones and have them wiped? But also, I did not realize that wiping your phone prevents like companies and police from subpoenaing text messages and emails and stuff. I mean, isn't there a way to circumvent this personal erasure uh, of these correspondences that prove their guilt? What do you think, Jen? So on the question of Snyder's charge, um, right now he's so he's been charged with, you know, a a potential misdemeanor. Um, This is a hand slap. This is the equivalent of you know, a, a couple of unpaid traffic tickets. It's potentially a thousand dollar fine or a year in jail. <laughs> so it's nothing compared $1, to thousand dollar fine. Are you fucking yeah. kidding me? Nope. That is that's the extent of it. If he even, you know, is, <laughs> you know, if he even gets that much. So absolutely not. Justice is not um, not being served uh, based on what our reporting shows based on what the evidence here shows uh, from what we obtained. <laughs> and your reaction, I think, is is spot on. I think that's pretty much how everybody should feel. Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, as far as folks knowing if their stuff was being wiped or not, I think that's a good question. I, I don't know. I don't know who knew what. Um, so some of the information... 
And some of the answers that we have come from investigative subpoena documents that have never been made public before. And so, of course, people are supposed to, you know, they're they're under oath. They're supposed to to tell the complete truth. And in the, the cases of answering the questions from from special prosecutor Todd Flood, for example, Sarah Werfel, uh, she stated, you know, to, to kind of summarize that she she didn't know that she didn't know if there was a, an iCloud backup that she didn't know that she handed over her phone when she left. And and that's that she just simply did not know. So that people was the can, that was the governor's press secretary. Yeah, so that was that was her press secretary, his press secretary, um, excuse me, Sarah Werfel. Um, and yeah, so so people can kind of draw their own conclusions of, of who knew what. Uh, we do have other sourcing that tells us that the IT department was told to do certain things um, that we, you know, will potentially report on in, in the future as far as storing devices, uh, setting up cameras and things to make sure that uh, people they didn't want to know that these devices and things are being stored weren't, you know, sniffing around where they didn't want them to sniff around. So I think the answer to that is, that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who who knew what. I don't know who's like complicit in the, in the wiping and who actually did the wiping. What we do know is that key officials had their their stuff wiped, had their stuff gone around very key crucial parts of the Flint water crisis. And I could chime in there because uh, I th I think we do know a little bit more. So first of all, we obtained documents showing that the number two of the environmental department. Uh, he was the deputy director. Under oath, he told prosecutors that, yeah, in October 2015, which is when Snyder finally held a press conference and admitted Flint's water was toxic and we're going to move Flint immediately off of the Flint River, he said, uh, yeah, they came and asked me for my phone. I don't know what they did with it. I don't know where it went. They didn't give it back to me. So that was the number two official in the state environmental department. We know that another environmental official soon after Governor Snyder announced um, Flint's water was toxic, uh, mysteriously got a brand new phone and a brand new number. State officials tell us, you know, not uncommon to get a new phone, like an upgrade, but it's uncommon to get a new number. This official told us, well, it's because I got a new position, but it doesn't really pass the smell test uh, based on the fact that Again, he's getting a brand new phone and a brand new number suit right after, you know, this go this becomes major state and national news. And that official who got the new phone and the new number was the head of the state environmental uh, lab that overseed lead and uh, lead and copper testing, which previous reports showed they manipulated those. <laughs> they, they were cheating on the water testing, too. Um, and we also know that. Uh, Obviously, state officials are not just deleting messages on their own, right, mm -hmm. <laughs> or erasing their phones on their own. Right. So we know that the director of the environmental department, his administrative assistant, was going around asking officials to give them their phones. So presumably that was coming from the environmental director. We don't know who was telling the environmental director to uh, ask for the phones. We also know, not to get too in the weeds, but – there was no like document retention order from the attorney general's office at that time. 
like it would make sense that they were doing this if there was an order for the attorney general's office at that time to hand in your phones so that the attorney general's office could copy them, which is that's what happens in criminal investigations. Uh, we there was no order. So they were just doing this for what seems like very obvious reasons. Um, but more importantly, you know, not one fact has been disputed. None of these agencies gave us a response. The health department, which was kind of funny, uh, as a journalist, this is about like as close you're going to get to like you got us. They were just like, yeah, we don't care to comment when when we asked like, why are all your top officials' messages gone <laughs> from this right. crucial period? Wow. Well, so and, yeah, so that's that's kind of my point is we yeah. we know what people have said and and stated. We don't know what what the you know the the actual truth is and who yeah. is complicit in these plans. And and just to your question, technically, this information should be retrievable. I mean, there is like forensic recovery and things like that. Um, we don't we just don't know. The attorney general's office has not answered if these were recovered. Uh, sources we have from that investigation told us that it, it wasn't just it was not just the officials outlined in the story. Those are just the ones we could confirm uh, we have from. Sources that it was it was across the board, like many many departments, phones were coming in either deleted, or with no messages. So we just don't know if they recovered them, uh, and we also don't know, which is pretty concerning. We don't even know if the current attorney general, who by the way is a Democrat, um, we don't even know if they presented any of this as evidence because they did the whole this investigation, the actual criminal process has been through a one man grand jury, which is a secret process with a judge as the one man grand jury. And they have not, we don't know what evidence they presented to that judge. And the judge is the one who, who indicted Snyder on the misdemeanor. Because I watch a lot of forensic files and I know that if you can get, you can get that data if you, if they wanted to, which is just so crazy. It's like, here's this huge criminal conspiracy um, by multiple people in the Snyder administration and it's like there's just no incentive to actually retrieve this which is just absolutely mind-blowing to me but you guys it's okay because Obama drank the water and mm -hmm. you know everything's fixed in Flint and um, you know giving him a slap on the wrist and a thousand dollar fine I'm sure is uh, is all the residents need yeah well, well that's an ahead. important point I think Sorry, guys. I think that's an important point, too, uh, for some additional background, if, if folks don't realize, there have been two different kind of prosecution teams. So the original team uh, appointed by Bill Schutte, who was a Republican um, uh, AG in uh, appointed special prosecutor Todd Flood. So this that was the, the head of the original prosecution team. So for three years, uh, he was leading, you know, the charge on this investigation. But so that was kind of Republican led. Um, Todd fled, you know, for all intents and purposes, nonpartisan. Uh, but that changed when Gretchen Whitmer and then, you know, a, a Democrat uh, got got into office and it became, you know, a democratically controlled state. And people thought, okay, maybe maybe Flint will get some justice now because because there are Democrats in office. Well, they ended up firing the entire prosecution team from Todd Flood on down, and put in a whole new team. So um, 
there have been, yeah, so two separate, two separate prosecution teams, which I think, which I think is important for people to know and also to know that the fact that Snyder is only getting these hand, potential hand slap charges, uh, that's that's from a Democrat. Uh, and that's one man grand jury, as Jordan was talking about. And there's a major like underneath all this, and I don't want to confuse the audience, but this is really important when they might one might ask, well, like, wouldn't the Democrats have incentive to go hard after Snyder? Like, forget if it's the right thing to do just for right. politics. Like, remember that shady financial deal <laughs> that we were talking about earlier that, like, led to Flint being on the Flint River? Well, that shady financial deal, the original uh, investigation, Jen just explained there was a three-year investigation uh, under the previous uh, attorney general. They actually charged – four officials, uh, two from Snyder's administration and two uh, Flint city officials, they charged them essentially with bond fraud, uh, financial charges related to this fake emergency order that I, that I was telling you about that basically gave Flint uh, a reason to borrow money it, it, by law shouldn't have been able to borrow. So essentially just shady financial deal just think like Trump and Foxconn or one of these schemes. <laughs> Shady financial deal. They charged four state officials, state and city officials with those uh, crimes. And then when the new attorney general came in, the Democrat, she dropped charges against eight state officials, including those four I just described. She dropped the financial charges. Then it's it's kind of crazy. She brought a lot of the charges that she dropped. She brought them back. She brought charges back against three out of those four officials, but the financial charges were gone. And based on our reporting and based on us just like living, breathing and dying this and sources, basically the reason it seems Snyder, they're not going all the way is because if that financial fraud went forward, even in like a pretrial, a preliminary hearing, it could bankrupt the state of Michigan. Because J.P. Morgan wrote those bonds. <laughs> Wells Fargo wrote those bonds. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of wealthy investors that own bonds on that pipeline that the financial deal for that pipeline was fraudulent. So if it went forward, the state of Michigan approved it. They are legally liable if banks want their money back, investors want their money back, if bondholders sue, they are on the hook. Which kind of explains why why did one investigation go go for financial charges and the new one comes in. Let's not pretend the Democratic attorney general and the Democratic governor are not at all linked. Uh, they they don't want to charge any financial crimes. In fact, the attorney general, she did an interview lying. I mean, there's no other way to say it, saying I never saw any charges related to this pipeline deal. There was four officials charged in the previous prosecution. So there's really essentially, and Snyder, by the way, was a lot more involved in the development of this financial deal than has been previously reported. So if they went after Snyder for anything more than a parking ticket, uh, again, state of Michigan could be on the hook for hundreds of millions of dollars, close, possibly even more than that, just for this financial fraud. So that's kind of, in our view, uh, we, we're doing additional reporting, but that's kind of why you're getting basically a symbolic charge, you know, getting charged with a misdemeanor, but nothing really more. Right. Totally just saying real justice shouldn't happen because that would mean a, a hit to the pocketbooks of 
of the the powerful in this country. Um, and sure. so right now, you know, as it stands, you know, you said that he's facing this one. Snyder's facing this one misdemeanor. So like right now, best case scenario, if he gets the maximum sentence and a guilty verdict, you know, he'll go to jail for one year. I mean, I don't think anyone would expect that someone like him uh, would get the maximum sentence because guys like him don't get that. I mean, I think, you know, just the story, Jen, that you relate of the impact on children uh, whose yeah. brains had been impacted, like losing the ability to walk, like that is harrowing enough. But, you know, that doesn't even go into the deaths that happened and miscarriages mm-hmm. and all the families that are have been torn apart and will for the rest of their lives have to to deal with that incredible loss. I mean, what what could be worse than than losing a child? Um and so right now, the maximum Snyder is going to get for this is one year, but that's a long shot. But do you have hope? And is there an effort to, in light of the the new evidence that that you've brought out, um, that additional charges can be added that would increase the the punishment that Snyder could face? Especially uh, since you know, right before we started recording this, today is July twenty eighth, Jordan. You tweeted that uh, the House Oversight Committee, which is controlled by the Democrats, actually re- put out a, a formal statement in response to the evidence that you had uncovered. Yeah, um, hope uh, is a tough word in this business, as you know, because mm-hmm. basically you have to beg, borrow and steal just to get the media to sit, cover it at all. Um, unfortunately, you have to beg, borrow and steal even to get our allies, I guess, in, in media to cover it. Uh, I, we can't even get Michael Michael Moore <laughs> to speak out on this. Um, we have hope, but we also are realistic. Um, you know, the House Oversight Committee, for example, them issuing a statement was really because I've been shaming them publicly for days, and it's getting a little traction on social media. I don't know if they would have issued a statement otherwise. Their statement basically says, you know, it would be very concerning if evidence was destroyed. Uh, by the Snyder administration, uh, then saying, uh, you know, he ob- obstructed our investigation from the onset, and a source with the committee told us uh, they're investigating. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't have a lot of hope that that's more than a statement uh, because they've been in control now uh, for half a year. And after our original story in January that Jen and I broke, which showed that Snyder himself likely perjured himself in front of the same committee. They just gave us a mixed word salad that, you know, and didn't bring him back. Uh, to me, the only hope really uh, of additional charges is uh, really, you know, it shouldn't be this way in journalism. Breaking the story should be enough, and then it gets picked up. Is pressuring the media, is pressuring Democratic politicians to react, to act, because I think Jen would agree. Like, I'm not being hyperbolic. I, I think this is the biggest government cover-up of this century. I think if Rich, if, if Watergate was not a president, I think this is bigger. This killed people. Uh, it's still killing people. It's across the board. You have a governor, environmental department, health department, frankly, the attorney general's office. Um, so all the facts are there. I don't have a lot of hope that Snyder will see prison. Uh, I don't, we don't need to get into the weeds, but uh, the current prosecution that fired the previous one Uh, They made a lot of mistakes and they forgot to do crucial things in the legal process that Snyder's team is now complaining to a judge about. It's possible Snyder's charge gets dismissed on a technicality, uh, which would be a real travesty. But I don't know what you think, Jen. Like my only hope is if people come together and just start 
ranting because this is a major miscarriage of justice. Well, let me intervene really quickly before yeah. we go to Jen is that, um, you know, it seems like everyone in terms of the top down government in Michigan is fully captured by this kind of corporate power that uh, preceded the crisis in the first place. But when we started, I think you guys mentioned that the local media is also ignoring this. I mean, what about the local media in Flint, um, in Michigan in general, and also like city council uh, officials that are more reachable and do know what's going on? Are they fighting for justice as well? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I just want to give um, kind of a shout out to the late Elijah Cummings, um, who had wanted and had plans to um, bring Snyder back in uh, and and push him on this. So I do hope that um, that Carolyn Maloney and uh, the rest of the House Oversight Committee do more. Uh, and I do agree with pressure as far as oh boy, we could we could go on for hours about the local Flint and Detroit and Michigan media. It's really sad to me. It's um, what you'll see or hear when you talk to Flint activists and Flint residents who are, are very obviously invested in their community and who are very invested in the truth and who are very invested in justice is that there are journalists and media outlets that are incredibly and obviously in the pocket of uh, corporations or the power that be or you know state officials, whoever, who they're not in the, the pocket for are the people. The, this majority black poor city with its struggling and sick and dying residents. It disgusts me. Um, obviously, I'm disgusted by CNN. I'm disgusted by MSNBC. I'm, you know, furious at Rachel Maddow for using this story and then abandoning it. But when it comes to local media, you would think that they would understand and that they would care and that they would have a vested interest in uncovering and reporting the truth. And that's what journalism is supposed to be, holding power to account, reporting the truth. And that's not what they're doing at all. Um, the Detroit Metro Times is great. They're fantastic. And uh, Lee DeVito is the editor-in-chief there. And so our piece was co-published by Detroit Metro Times. We've had previous pieces published by Detroit Metro Times. Um, and they are seemingly the only like local Detroit media, at least, that is willing to, to publish truth um, and, and good, important information. As far as like other large papers, Detroit News, Detroit Free Press, uh, Flint Journal, it is, you'd be we email them very frequently. I know Jordan has a lot to say about this, but we email them with every story we have. We Jordan has has met with. Uh, I wasn't able to go because I was ill, but he met with a local Detroit guy for this story in person. Jordan has a great story about that. It is so incredibly frustrating, and there's not much else to say except for the obvious. They don't care about the people. I think that, you know, what the work that you've done in helping expose this great crime, this massive scandal for which there 
There needs to be justice, should be a huge story, should be a huge, uh, widely publicized criminal prosecution. Um, Jordan, I think you were exactly right to say that the only way that's it's obviously not going to happen on its own. It's obviously not going to happen just because the evidence comes out. Um, You know, it's only going to happen if people make enough noise about it, pressuring politicians to take action, pressuring media to take action and cover it. Um, And that's on us. That's on to the on the people listening and the people following the story. And, you know, we really appreciate uh, the contributions you've made to uh, helping get justice for uh, the people that have suffered so much from this. Before we move on to our next topic, was there anything else you wanted to add about the story that you think we missed? I think that people need to understand because, um, you know, there's a whole cottage industry on YouTube and elsewhere. Uh, you know, we do a healthy dose of slamming corporate media. Uh, but I think people need to understand, you know, it's totally cool. It's great to, you know, protest outside politicians' offices and protest outside BlackRock, uh, which I just covered this morning, uh, coal miners striking, and, you know, all of that. We, we need those protests, and hopefully along with those protests, uh, we need economic uh, protests and boycotts too, which I hope uh, start building. But I've, I've told my audience for a long time, uh, you know, don't forget the corporate media. Like, when have you seen a protest outside your local ABC, CBS, NBC? When have you seen people coming together to target their advertisers. I mean, to me, based on traveling, and I'm sure Abby has seen similar things uh, in terms of international news, um, to me, 75% of the reason we have this rotten, corrupt, new Gilded Age is because we have basically a whole structural system of corporate public relations stooges putting on makeup and pretending to be journalists. I mean, that's (laughs) our media system. And until we make them uncomfortable, I mean, I'm not I'm not suggesting any violence, of course, civil disobedience. But like, why should these journalists, quote unquote, journalists be so comfortable burying the news? I mean, I won't get into the whole story, but as Jen just said, I drove to Michigan during a pandemic both ways. I met with a very preppy editor (laughs) of the Detroit Free Press. He rolled up in a nice Beamer and we met in a parking lot. I literally handed him what we had. I said, you could throw one of your reporter's names on it, even though the reporter, you know, wouldn't have done anything for the story to make them, you know, take a little credit for themselves. Uh, He said to me, and I quote, we regret not doing more on, on Flint. And I said, great, here's your chance to do more. He told me this is incredible work, blah, 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 blah. Three days later, emails me, yeah, we can't really invest in this right now, blah, 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 blah. So obviously we don't have enough time to get into why they're passing, why they're burying it. But this is the major impediment. Like the people of Flint, unfortunately, they can't act if they don't know. And I would tell you 80% of Flint residents probably haven't even seen this story we just broke. Um, same goes for important reporting Abby has done that – people in those countries might not know about. So I know we all have a lot going on, but don't forget the corporate media is a major, major uh, weapon of corporate America uh, that is burying, that is keeping people unwoke, that is keeping people numb. And I hope uh, together we could change that. I agree. And uh, later on in the episode, I I know that we're going to talk about 
you know, issues that also come from alternative media and making these stories uh, become buried and not get the attention that they want. But first, I did want to uh, transition to talk about some other re- uh, important reporting that the two of you have done. Um, you recently went on a big road trip where you traveled uh, across the s- south and east coast of the United States. Um, and, you know, before we get into the specific stories, you know, I was watching one of your live streams when you were when you were done with the trip and you were returning home uh, and you were driving in the car and Jordan, you said something that really stuck with me uh, reflecting on the trip. And that was, you said, this is not a normal country. And uh, I just wanted mm. you to expand on that. Why, what you were feeling when you said that and and how would you uh, explain uh, what you said? Um, it goes back to really the first time I really felt that way. I mean, I've pretty much felt that way for the first trip I've taken uh, reporting. But I remember at Standing Rock, I mean, I'd be like, you know, next to people, Native Americans getting shot at while banging on drums. And it looked like a war zone. Uh, I've never, you know, reported from like war war, but this felt like it to me. And like, I'd go back to my room uh, at the casino hotel and like CNN would be talking about Donald Trump's tweets for an hour. And that's kind of when it hit me, like we live in an alternative universe here in America. Like what's actually happening on the ground is it's almost as if it's in another galaxy from what is fed by the media. Sorry, Empire Babies. The rest of this episode is locked for patrons. So go to patreon.com slash empirefiles to get the rest. We talk about really important work Jen and Jordan have done covering the hidden eviction epidemic, the myth of Biden's so-called survival checks, a discussion about what Jordan calls the TMZification of alternative media, and what advice they have as independent journalists for others trying to get a start in the field. Thanks so much for listening.